Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This episode is proudly sponsored by Integrity, your partner for life. Integrity recently launched an exclusive research paper to help advisors understand how to attract and retain new clients. They believe their role in the industry is bigger than just providing products. They want to help create a sustainable industry, educate clients, and support advisors personally in their business. You can get a copy of the report and learn more about Integrity if you visit integritylife.com.au forward slash xy. Welcome back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm talking about all things to do with the fact that financial planning is difficult enough to do, uh, but it's even more difficult made by the fact that we don't know when the plan ends. So I'm joined today by David Williams. Welcome, David. Thanks, Fraser. And uh, we're talking all things around the conversation around longevity and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you've been working on around the length of time people may in fact live for when it comes to uh, the longevity of their lives. So thank you for, thank you for chatting to me today. Pleasure. Now, do you want to give us a quick overview of your business and, and what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, well, I became obsessed with, uh, with how long people were living, how long an individual would live. We all know how, how long averages, the actuaries tell us all the time what's going on there and the government. Yep. But I was interested in, could an individual have a better number than the average? And uh, I was prompted to do it by a couple of actuaries who said that the life tables, you know, are actuarially sound, but they're not much help. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess that was a simple starting point. And uh, I, when I finished uh, a, a partial career in financial planning, I decided I'll put some effort into this because I, realized, I could see how important it was to good advice. And it wasn't just the, the number that, uh, that, that I was looking for. It was could we help people understand why and could they begin to do something about it? Yeah, that's, that's a real that, holy grail, I think. Absolutely, absolutely, because yeah. the number is one part, but uh, but the, the conversation with the client around it and what they want to do during that time of their life is, is extremely important. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, I mean, less than a quarter of people within about two or three years of the average for their age, which means three-quarters of people aren't. And, and not only that, even if you were within three years, uh, you don't know. You've got no way of knowing whether you're average or not. So <clears throat> it's a really, it really is a mystery, uh, yeah. and that's what I want to resolve so I can find something better than just, you know, blind faith in a, a number. Fantastic. And so take us through your journey then. How did you get involved with that and where did it start and, and what did you, you know, how did that evolve? Well, well, it started after about 25 years in financial planning um, where I became a planner back in the mid-'80s and... Uh, uh, we built Retire Invest. Uh, I was a director, the marketing director there, and a planner as well. We all had to be planners. I was very interested. I, I moved from there to Bridges and ran Bridges for about three years. I was really interested in in why, over time, I must say, why why we knew so little about what we were calling retirement. And, and we only know, knew that people with uh, annuities tend to live longer than people who didn't and that executives who retired tended to die early. 
that was about the same title. And that really wasn't good enough to build a, a genuinely people-oriented business, oriented business is what we, we tried to do with Retirement yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that, it was all that background uh, of wanting to know more about a person so we could help them make their decisions. I, I, was, I was very much part of the uh, what's now Finometrica too and the development of that business. And, you know, we learned things about we needed to help people make a properly informed commitment to their decisions, to their future. And if you didn't know what the future looked like in a time sense, <laughs> it was pretty hard to expect a commitment, isn't it? Uh, there are a lot of good tools around like that now. But, but so we just, I decided that I'd have a crack at this one. Okay, fantastic. And so then how did you go about the research? Because the research and, and this sort of stuff is around, okay, setting up a, a framework for the research so that the research can actually, you know, provide value, I guess. Yeah, look, um, what I just started to do was to see, I had a simple concept that could we find out, where, look for research that said this group of people did this and they lived longer than that group of people. Uh, and, and I began to realise how much research was just, this is nearly 2000, just beginning to become available. I mean, people smarter than me had realised this was an issue uh, 20 years before and started to set up proper longitudinal studies. So you study a group of people for 20 years and in this case, see who died and who didn't. And if not, why not? If you could, if you'd set the study up right. And these studies began to come out in the early 2000s. And so there began to build a real pile of good data about somebody did this and that was the, the outcome, that were the, that were the consequences. So I decided to do, design a model based on the life table because they're actuarially right. <laughs> it represents the average. But could we see who was higher and who was lower, more or less? And, and, and now we had the research, we could have a reason for for saying, well, you're probably on the long end or the short end. And we went, went end up with about, I guess, 50 questions. Uh, and that was a bit of a problem because there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, so I decided to group them into five categories, uh, surroundings, health, attitude, parents and eating. And those categories were really useful because they help people understand why they're answering a question. It's to do with surroundings or health or whatever. And they're not hard, they're yes, no questions. So that that was our first stab. And we, we put in into our website at My Longevity um, uh, as a free service to people so they could understand more about themselves and to learn about what they thought. That was, was our idea. Hmm. Um, and we persisted with this, not persisted, we, it grew quite rapidly. People got to know about it. Um, and then the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare published a really important study that said, and this is what the stages of life look like. Again, on average, but it was really useful because and we sort of simplified that to become three stages, which it is, or was published as such, able, less able, and then dependent. And the thing that struck us immediately and we looked through all this at all, all life stages, the, um, the dependent period is a very short part of it, you know, certainly less than 20% typically for people. 
Well, that's really important. That's great news <laughs> if the rest of it isn't. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, this is a, it's kind of a, um, uh, you know, a look into the future, isn't it? A, a, a crystal ball, if you like, of what, what could possibly happen. Yeah, and it really is only what could possibly happen. I mean, we can't tell if someone's going to walk in front of a bus or, or you know, something awful happens. Uh, and we can't really handle, you know, really nasty diseases or afflictions with this. We're talking about if you're in reasonable shape at the moment, uh, and that's, where, that's the starting point for most people anyway. Yep. The thing that really stuck out too was that the longer you live, the shorter is that period of dependency, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is. was the longer you live, the longer you're likely to live. So you're not, you don't have a target. It's a moving target. Yes, that's certainly the case. And, and I do like the way that you've called it, uh, you know, what shape are you in and, and the, uh, the shape analyzer all fits quite nicely into, that, uh, into those words. Yeah, well, you know, we tried hard to make it personable. You know, we're trying to talk to a person or, in fact, we're trying to develop a process that advises, not just financial advisors, but particularly those for me, from my point of view, yep. but other advisors, doctors, um, lawyers, uh, aged care advisors, all of them, if they can talk with people about the framework of that person's future, then you're in a much better shape to work with them to help them commit to their decisions. Yeah, and it also... Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say it also categorises what you can do about it, and we'll we'll go into those different areas in a second. But I just yeah. want to also dig a little bit deeper on this concept that the the difference between this and the actuarial tables, the fact yes. that the average, um, and you look at, um, you know, those average type tables, but, you know, how many people are, are actually living to the, the level that they say that they're going to live to? Well, I mean, the, the tables are based on the census and you, we have to sort of trust that the census is, is doing a good job, which I think it is. So it's not a, a, a put down of the life tables. It's just... I mean, life table, after you've done all the life table work, you can talk about probabilities of things happening, which is interesting to people like me because I'm interested in the social consequences of all this uh, increasing longevity. But it doesn't help a person all that much. It really doesn't. And so I kept on looking for ways of getting back to, well, Fred, uh, what's it looking like for you and how do you feel about that? Now that you've learned about what could be going on, you've got some choices to make mm. and it's, we can help you with some of those. And so we developed what we call the longevity plan. So all the shape information that a person has put in, if they choose to become a subscriber, then that populates a plan for them, which is these are the things you could look at now, which is typically health, and these are the things that will affect your future, like where will I live? And will I carry on working? I try not to use retirement because I don't think, I think it's an out-of-date word. Uh, been very useful. <clears throat> it may be very useful, but I think it's become dated. It's a, it's a word you know, put into use uh, 120 or 30 years ago, and I think we've passed it. We talk about the rest of your life. What's the rest of your life look like? And you've got choices, how long you work. Uh, maybe not a choice if you've lost your job, but you've got capabilities and experience and they're important so could you you know take a view of that 
could that reshape the way you're <clears throat> thinking about your future and, and whether you work or not, whether you apply those capabilities and experience to something like um, volunteering or grandparenting, which is becoming increasingly an occupation. There's a heck of a lot more grandparents around and there's a heck of a lot of two working families, you know, both partners working or even single families, and grandparenting has become a really, really important social contribution, economic one too, of course. Yeah, that's so really, all important things. It's a really interesting uh, concept of the, you know, the word retirement, uh, losing the word retirement out of the um, our vocabulary, and especially when we're talking to a client and talking about the risky life. My dad sort of re- always described his retirement as a, it's a full-time job and you get no days off. well it's up to you really isn't it but it's definitely a a transition a career transition you could say into into whatever the next part of it involves well i think the thing is too you you can do it by choice if you're informed you can make choices yeah if you're not you tend to go along with convention well convention was and in a way still is retired six from 67 onwards because that just happens to be the age of entitlement to the age pension Yep. There's another beef I have that <laughs> it's, it's mad that we should be even linking retirement to that. I understand why. But really, you know, it's it's enshrining an out-of-date concept. Yes. I couldn't agree more. It's definitely uh, it's definitely something that was, was great when people just sort of had a job and then they finished and they received oh, the, hand, they get the golden handshake and then they, there they go off and uh, now they're on the pension. Yeah. But, I mean, Fraser, when you look at it, the baby boomers, which is a classic example, uh, the ones that are alive today, they turned 75 last year, the, the earliest ones, and and they've already even outlived their life expectancy and, and they've got a fair way to go yet if they're still alive. You know, they've got about another 10 or more years, depending whether they're male or female. Yep. Gender differences are very important. So, you know, we've got this enormous bonus coming through the system for those of us that are still around, and what are we doing with it? And what does society expect of us as well? Mm. That's really important because somewhere on the line we're expecting aged care to be funded, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> what, what are we, the recipients, uh, doing about it? Well, it's, it's interesting, I think, the as the superannuation system works its way through, as in people, you know, finishing their working life and have been earning superannuation um, guarantee for their entire life, yes. uh, then the system as we know it as retirement and aged care will be fundamentally different. It's not, you know, it was designed pre that superannuation guarantee coming, you know, fulfilling people's lives. Yeah, and it was designed for men primarily, not women as well. So it doesn't take account of that very big social change that we see going on even now. Uh so there are a whole lot of reasons why we need to be able to look at ourselves and then look at the surrounding bits like super, like age pension, like the other things, like the fact that we can manage our health far more knowledgeably, no guarantees, but at mm. least more knowledgeably than ever before, and we can rely on support from the medical profession for the most part. Yep. Um, and so... These are differences. They're really important and they do allow us to make choices. And that's why understanding the stages for us was such a big step forward that we could show to people it's not just how long you're going to live, it's about what your life might look like. And by the way, it's your life. <laughs> yes. 
And, uh, and it's really, really important for financial uh, planners to understand those stages because it's going to affect what the, what people want to do and their goals and their spending plans over that oh, time. Oh, yeah. It gives you a framework. And, and, and if you do redo your – we say to people, have another look every year how it's all going, you know, keep doing it on the run, do the, the plans for yourself. But you need to look at it every year because we change. And if we change, then our, it's likely that our uh, longevity – will change also. And by the way, we, in the end, we, re, we decided to, to do away with the term retirement in our discussions anyway. We'd simply redefine the word longevity. So my longevity is the rest of my life. And our goal is to help people make the best of it. Yep. That's it. Yeah, no, it's uh, our life is pretty big canvas, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I do think it should be part of the annual uh, annual conversation, annual review at least. Um, now, I just wanted to go into all the different parts. We talk about uh, the shape and keeping in shape and the shape index, um, but that's an uh, acronym and set, you know, for surroundings and health, attitude, parents and eating. Um, I just wanted to go into each of those if we can and sort of talk about how that, um, how that, that uh, is involved or how that came about, sort of the, the, the research that around it and, and, and go into each of those. So I, I think we should probably start with the S. We'll start with surroundings. Okay. Well, surrounding a pretty big thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. But it covers where I live, uh, what the atmosphere is like, uh, you know, what the house is like. Uh, it also covers our social surroundings. And this is one of the, the big awakenings over the last 20 years or so. I mean, the, the whole social context in which we live is critical, and we know it's critical, and the research is starting to show it's critical to our well-being. So if we, we need to take count of it, things like loneliness uh, and, and even separately, do I talk to people that I in, uh, engage with normally? Do, am I talking to them regularly? Do we have meaningful conversations? You can start to do that and, and the evidence is it's very positive for you. So surroundings includes you know, the physical surroundings and the social surroundings, which I think are increasingly... <laughs> understood how important they are uh, yeah, so i think physical um the physical attributes you know am i a um am i a manual occupation working you know um yes. uh, you know shifting rocks type thing uh, as a heavy a heavy, heavy occupation obviously has a more of a toll um than you know somebody working in say an office y- yes it, it does uh, and even things like um, and we'll come to that a bit more in the health bit because mm. you know, am I fit enough you know, is, is part of it. And one of the questions is, you know, does my job give me aerobic or maintain help maintain my fitness? It also might wreck it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, it's a balancing. There, there are two sides of that coin. But uh, you know, it's certainly, you know, how far you drive, that's a stressful thing as well as a, you know, a physical thing. So a number of things that we grouped, and it's a loose grouping. There's no particular, you know, slick, sharp boundaries to them. It's this is my surroundings. This is how I live. This is where I live in. Um, the next thing is the is the health. That's the H bit. Um, and of course, they're pretty standard questions. You know, things like cholesterol level and and uh, am I overweight and and do I exercise regularly. They're stuff that most people would recognise and probably do it off the top of their head. If they can't, we say, well, do the best you can, but if you don't know your cholesterol level, um, maybe next time you visit the doc for something, maybe a flu shot, <laughs> ask. 
<laughs> a bit more about it. But but it's just trying to help people understand themselves a bit better. The health one. Yeah, and definitely, and definitely something that uh, that they can work on. I, I guess with surroundings as well, it's putting themselves in a position where they could say, "Well, actually, that this this type of thing that I'm doing is uh, is is you know detrimental to my longevity." One of the things we did too was to <clears throat> excuse me identify questions where uh, an answer, a certain answer, was going, likely to be an issue for you, and that when we got to the so when we get to the end of it. We can say to you, look, and there's typically maybe four or five questions, you really have to have a chat with your health advisors about these because they might help you find a new way forward. We're not doctors. We're not trying to prescribe stuff. But but that's the context. We want to get people back to talk to advisors, you know, the professional advisors, about themselves in an informed way. So they can exercise or not. That's their decision. Yep. At least they know whether they should <laughs> if they've talked to their health advisor and yep. how much and all that sort of thing. Yep. Now, uh, as you mentioned, there's no hard boundaries on any of these. They're more like, uh, you know, overlapping rings, if you like. Uh, yeah. And and certainly the next one, the A, is for attitude and that sort of uh, almost, you know, health and attitude almost go together. I, in well, a lot they, of they do. Um, the thing that struck me um, most was a study we, we came, came out of, uh, oh, let me see, Ohio, that's right. Uh, we studied a group of people for 20 years and was particularly focused on attitude. I met the author since, actually. It's a great study. And uh, it, it showed that people that had a positive attitude to ageing, like I feel as good this year as I did last year, <laughs> simple questions, but the difference after 20 years was remarkable. Those that had a positive attitude, as defined through the questions, were outliving those with a negative attitude by about seven years. Now, that, oh, that's about the same difference smoking makes you know, on average. So I thought that was pretty impressive. So those, they opened my eyes up to, again to the social issues of ageing. If people are, you can imagine, if people went through an interview, if you like, and came up with with realising they had another 20 years left, they might have an entirely different attitude to expecting to die when their one remaining grandparent died, you know, and maybe at the age of 78. I struck people like this. They said, oh, I'm not, I won't live beyond what granddad lived to. 78, I said, hang on. <laughs> You're standing up. That's a start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The expectation, isn't it? Like setting a precedent or setting an expectation or having that um idea or that that expect oh, come back to expectation that expectation of how long you might live for um can come you know can you can manifest that i guess well you, you can certainly influence it we're, we're a product of what we learn and that's another issue where this business of uh, uh, mindset mm. came right into this space as well to the attitude one if we see everything as a learning opportunity rather than something to be got right or, or you know, cross your arms and well, uh, reject it. Yep. <laughs> um, a growth mindset is really powerful, as it turns out, in helping people to see everything as a learning opportunity. Now, it sounds a bit Pollyanna-ish, but that's the case. A lot of work written, a lot of stuff written on it's Very good books on it too. Yeah, well, that uh, and we've done some conversations in, in the past couple of episodes around um, that uh, that mental flexibility and having yeah. you know, f- flexibility around that. Now, I'm I'm just amazed that 
the study shows that it's a very similar to you know being a non you know a smoker versus non-smoker type thing and when it comes to longevity just i guess that's the additional stress it places on your body over a long period of time yeah well stress is another one uh, that we ask in the attitude thing uh, you know do you handle stress easily and there's uh, lots of people have different ways of doing it there's yoga and meditation and simply going for a walk with a dog or you know it's all of those things uh, if you find it works then it works uh, but those appear to be powerful sort of journey, part of the journey, understanding that, that stress is not necessarily bad for you. It's only if you maintain it indefinitely. Mm. Okay. I actually I remember years ago speaking to uh, an underwriter that said to me, uh, stress is not a diagnosed medical condition. It's just a way you handle something. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was a really interesting you know, distinction to me. Um, you know, people talk about stress and you know, stress and anxiety and depression. Well, depression's a, a one, you know, a, a diagnosed thing, but anxiety and, and stress are, are, you know, are in your own head, I guess. Yeah, and what, what's becoming increasingly apparent, Fraser, is uh, um, uh, I, I'm interested in the end-of-life situation where we become more dependent. And, you know, the, the, the classic worry is uh, demented and dementia. The, the list of things that are manageable from midlife onwards that appear clearly now to be influencing your path to dementia or not, because not yep. everybody is yep. demented uh, or ends up being so. Um, there, there are a whole range of things. The latest one that, that I've seen is about hearing. Now, I'm no expert on hearing, so I don't want to rush off and get hearing aids, but but. It says, and you understand understand why, if your hearing's not working so well, a lot of us might be not wanting to wear hearing aid. If you're not working so well, you're probably not hearing it, not hearing the podcast. You miss the important stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, it may be a case now for for much more support for hearing tests. Uh, there are the whole thing. I mean, we know that people with poor dentition, poor mouths, mouths in bad condition, are far more likely to have problems with ageing than those who don't. And of yep. course. Obvious in a way, but it's one reason why first world countries uh, with good dentists and all that stuff are outliving third world, or even within a first world country, as we see in our own population, great differences in healthcare, including dental care, play out ultimately as part of why life expectancies of those groups are different. Yep, it's it's there. We're just we're we're finding the tools to prove it. Yep all the time and that's what's so exciting about it yeah fantastic it does mean though that we are learning that from midlife we must be doing things you know if we want to get the full longevity bonus yeah you know, if we want to be, go out along the twig as far as we can and then just drop off at the end and maybe by then someone will have a new parachute i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well it's the same as financial planning right if you, the, earlier you, the, the earlier you start the better you're going to be but it does underpin the importance of daily of a regular review of how you're going because then you can modulate all your decisions and sometimes they're big ones you know get cancer bang yeah it's not something you just you know manage your way through for the next year yes but at least you feel i know where i'm coming from but maybe where I could be going to. You ask yep. the doctors about this too. What, if I did this, where does it leave me? If you do that, where does it leave me? And I can tell you the doctors are not always very happy about being put to that specific question. But if you explain to them why, this is the way I'm doing things. 
particularly your GP, if he knows before or she knows beforehand, the way you're thinking, they'll be a partner in this. Mm. We need to all f- realise that we can make a difference. Very good. Now, the uh, so that was the sort of the attitude and the way that we behave and think and feel and, yes, and parents. The P is for parents. Obviously, we're talking about um, you know genetic makeup and, and uh, you know a family history type thing. It is that. I mean, if you know all the things that happened to the people before you, you know what they died of or what they were inf- afflicted by, it gives you a guide. And if you have say you know several people with heart issues in your family, well you start to think about it and you talk to your advisor about it. You know, your health advisor, they, uh, if you don't tell them, they don't know and not all of them ask. So well, the important thing is that, that gene, genes are there uh, and they are becoming, well, the importance of understanding them is, is growing because we're living longer. There are no longevity genes as such. There's nothing you can say. That does it. But you can say, if I live longer, that has an influence on the way I live and how well I might live. So understanding the genes is pretty important, uh, but, but understanding how they've played out for relatives is also important because they had different lifestyles and all these things too, and their lifestyle certainly affects the way the genes play out. Mm. So... Uh, understanding as much as you can about that uh, is why we put that in. Yeah, uh, yeah then- fantastic. And, and it's probably been, and we'll get to this, but it's probably been, um, you know, a difficult question unless um, unless planners have already had, a, say, a personal statement on file where you talk about family history, but it's probably not been something that you immediately discuss with clients uh, when you're talking about their uh, retirement planning. Um, but the, let's get on to the E uh, in the shape, which is eating. Well, e, e, um, we decided to be sort of a bit broad-minded about it. Eating was anything you put in or you let in. <laughs> so, so that included smoking. I was wondering where to fit smoking with a health. Now, I thought it's really it's, it's a decision about something you stick into your body, which is cigarette smoke. Mm. Um, and there are other things like that. Um, of course, the foods you eat. And the balance in those, uh, things like the Mediterranean diet seem to be still standouts for a, a good yardstick. It's not the only ones. The Scandinavians have a similar kind of diet, but they don't call it the Mediterranean diet, you know, the, the healthy stuff. Uh, and also things like sunlight, uh, because because we're living low, essentially we're, we're designed to live for about 40 years. That's, that's the basics. And until 200 years ago, that's how long the average was, the average lifespan. What changed it? The whole society changed when the Industrial Revolution kicked it along. And so, you know, we built things, we communicated, we've got lovely software now that we can talk with. Um, all those things are social changes, have enabled social changes, which are, are really important. But... Um, it's a, this is a social issue, and one of the things we're finding as we're living longer, the things we didn't even really know about are playing out. And Australians, for example, have great sunshine, and so we're one of the highest skin cancer people in the world. And, and if we don't do something about it regularly, it's likely to get us because we're around longer. Now, it was unheard of for people really to die of, of skin diseases because they died of everything else well before <laughs> But, you know, I know a number of people in my, my sort of age group, broad age group, 
who've had serious skin problems because they didn't do anything when it was simple. Hmm. So it's a, it's a, a sunshine is a, is a great thing for vitamin D, but it also knocks the hell out of your skin. So, so again, you've got trade-offs operating here. This whole time business is a great field for trade-offs. We are always trading something off yep. when we're dealing with time. I love going out in the sun, but I can only go for 15 minutes yep. a day or, or else I'm going to cover myself up or wear a hat. Yeah, or not direct sun and those sorts yeah. of things. But at least if you understand, you make, yeah, you make an informed decision instead of, of not making one at all perhaps. Yep. So, so that's the, the five things. They informed the word shape. Had to play around with the P a bit to find a word, and I decided for, for gene pool, but because shag didn't look too good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then I found P. I thought, oh, that's it. So we'll call it shape, and it was a useful word. Yeah, very, very clever. Well done. So t- talk, us to, talk, us, talk to me about the, the – um, the, I'm going to just call it a quiz, but let's call it the questionnaire that you go through um, to, then, to then work out where you are in all those categories. Well, yeah, the, the, we because through all the research, I was, having had done done all this research, I was able to group it under bite-sized chunks, which make it easy to understand. And so they form the basis for the questions. There are, there are a lot of other resources that I came across. Life companies know a great deal about uh, what makes some people live longer than others, and that's how they shape their offer. Uh, if you can get to the root of what their, their, their knowledge is, and I was able to do this in a number of cases, then that helped decide, you know, the relative importance of certain questions and the weighting that you give to it. So in the end, you end up, the whole thing is designed to, to come close to what uh, the life tables would look like if you actually accepted that longevity will continue to improve. The life tables don't do that. There's an extra bit in there. If you look for it, you can get some some different mortality figures. Uh, and it's difficult to do it for actuaries. I'm not being critical. Hmm. But what we've done is develop, design it so that on average, the numbers end up pretty close to where the life tables are or could be or should be. But, you know, individuals can vary quite dramatically around that. And so that was the, the confidence we needed to, that it was working that way. Yeah, fantastic. And how many questions is it in total? It's about 50. And we ask a couple of socioeconomic ones uh, like, you know, what, how much you earn now and, and your level of education because they, they're known to be pointers towards you know, tendencies to live longer or less. Yep, yep. And how do you... It takes a fire. I can do it in 10 minutes. Or, uh, it's only designed from 45 onwards because before that, there's not much evidence that what you do changes things. Of course it must. But but from 45, the numbers start to become a bit clearer. And so we say 45 onwards is the time, from midlife, if you like to call it that, uh, when when the knowledge becomes useful to you. Yep. It becomes useful and therefore you might listen. And it probably coincides a lot with uh, the probably the average age of a lot of financial planning clients as well. You know, it's not, um, you know, I guess there are quite a few people who look after millennial clients, but they're probably less interested in longevity, more interested in uh, what's immediately uh, oh, yeah. concerning them with cash flow and buying a house maybe or investing or those sorts of things. Exactly right. It does fit in particularly. I was, I was, when I realised that, I thought, well, that fits in with the audience that I probably know better. Uh, than most um, uh, than most other audiences, so that's I was comfortable with that. So it's forty five onwards, 
And it's yep. not as if you need to know every answer to the nth. It's a it's to give you a sense of who and what you are. Yep. I said at the beginning, if there are questions that come up, you say, look, this could be very important to you. That's flagged in the results that come because that's done on the all online. Yep. And, and you see it in the results. And importantly, we add in the, the, the now very importantly the stages that you're facing, uh, as well as how long, uh, and then the the bit about the bit of bits about these things could be important to you. Yep. Uh, and the, our new pro- program is the longevity plan, which which says, well, this is what you could do about it. These yep. are the immediate things. These are the longer term steps. But you now have to understand you've got a time frame. You choose when you want to do them first, and here's why they're important. Yep. So how do you work differently with individuals uh, than, than you do when you're working with planners? We started with individuals because I, 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 I wanted to see if we could do that online. Yep. Uh, to be able to do this, I mean, we've put a, <laughs> a lot in it, but, but now it's a really a business of numbers. And, and online, if we can get the numbers up, then it's it's a fairly straightforward business because we we look after the algorithms and we look after the the changes in coming. We advise people you know on a regular basis about what's going on, but the action plan is where the link came with advisors. Now you can begin to engage with your clients on something quite new for them and you, but really simple. And this only hit me uh, five or six years ago, how simple it had become because we all talk time. We talk, you know, even when we can't speak, you know, if you're with mum and you want another feed, well, you let out a blast. <laughs> you know, we know it's time. Uh, and, and time, as it turns out, is, is the most common noun in the English language. Now, that can be argued about it, but because we use it all the time, like, all the time. <laughs> and and so we do. And when you think about your day, when did I get up? There's a time thing. Uh, you know, what time will I get the bus? You know, when will I eat lunch? What's my meeting? How long will it last? If I go on holidays, first thing, when will I go? How long will I go for? You know, you'll then think about, well, I wonder if I can afford that. And that's the other interesting thing about time. It teaches you about trade-offs. We make trade-offs about time. You know, will I do this? Will I go early or late? Why, why not? We do it all the time, all the time. <laughs> and so that's the other thing about having a time conversation with someone. We talk about trade-offs. We get used to the idea. There's no, it's not as if my financial projections are perfect. Well, we know they're not. The time is one very big reason why they're not. But you learn the trade-off discussion and you have that relationship comfort from talking about something where there's no arbitrage. We all speak time, so it's equal. Yep. We can't speak doctor talk. We can't speak plan talk easily uh, uh, and even and especially lawyer talk. <laughs> but if we start with time, we talk to all of them about ourselves easily. We understand it. There's no arbitrage. And so... That's part of why we developed the, the longevity plan, not to say we can tell you all about estate planning or whatever, but to help you have the tools to talk with the professionals that you should be seeing and not to feel defensive about it. 
Yes, so uh, our nerd brains both go uh, into the X and Y axis, obviously, time and money. Um, and uh, the, the, the conversations often re- refer around money, but um, essentially you're helping planners put the time back into that conversation. Yes, and because it's, it's kind of bog obvious, if you end up with a time plan through what we do, then it's a good idea to look at it once in a while. Now, that's one of the really important things of the, the, you know, the change in remuneration even for planners to a fee-for-service because that's basically a time relationship. Yep. You've got to do it every year according to the, the rules at the moment anyway. Uh, but, but it is a natural thing to do if, you, if your person has a time frame and you want to talk about it. You want to talk about it on a regular basis. They say, well, look, if you're going to come in in April, trot off and, and have your annual review with your doctor, especially if you're older, and, and get it all clear where you're going and come back and we'll talk about what we do about it. Yes. Now, you, you just mentioned the word annual review, um, and it's interesting, isn't it, because this is a, this is a word that, it, uh, you know, annual review with a doctor, annual, annual review with a planner. Um, I, I'm a big fan of changing that word to progress, um, because it does introduce that concept of more time progressing along your timeline towards where, you know, yeah. all those sorts of things towards goals and towards rather than reviewing the past uh, performance, which is what we're trying to avoid when it comes to these conversations. Really sort of work on the future. Yeah. That's where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> like going yeah. on holiday. You don't, yeah. you don't talk about where you went last year. You talk about where you're going this year. Yeah. And that's yeah. exciting too. Much more exciting than get looking backwards. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the other thing too is that, that once you have that sense of a time frame, then events occur. So it doesn't have to be a year thing. You know, the obsession with the year thing is is convenient and probably has some bureaucratic overtones. <laughs> but but it, it, I mean, if something happens, you should say, look, something has happened that's affecting my whole time outlook here. And it might be, as I said before, cancer or I've I've just busted my left foot and <laughs> changing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, can we have a chat about that? Can you see any immediate implications? Okay, let's let's move on. But you know, you you provide the this common framework for a dialogue. Well, it's there all the time. It exists as part of you, and it is your part of you. Really. Yeah, it's um, that's a you know, it's a, it's a. I would imagine a lot of people are doing that at the moment. Um, you know the regular reviews as opposed to annual reviews or, uh, you know, the, and, and trigger points. Yeah, and, and that, if people are doing that, that means they're, they're seeing themselves as part of a, a time continuum and they don't feel strange about raising it. Mm. You know, they don't just have to ring up your planet because the, someone said the market's crashed or going well, hopefully. <laughs> You know, there are other important things that affect why that's important to you. Yep. And it's usually personal stuff, time stuff. Yep. And so you you suggest that um, planners sit down every year with their clients, or if they if we're doing it yearly, say, okay. uh, or every uh, you know ongoing review or ongoing um, event, major event, and, and just redo the questionnaire. Yeah, look, I, that's that's the way I do. I mean, questionnaire takes you know, five or ten minutes. Once you've done it, it's it's pretty quick. And, and we've designed the plan so the questionnaire automatically updates the plan and adds any new things that you aren't, it doesn't change what you've already written and done. It just pops in there and says, hey, this is now on the list. 
So you've got a constant reminder of uh, of the fact that you're on a journey here and that you've got some means of overseeing it. And and it's we've designed so it's a straight you don't it's pl- plug in thing really. The only number you need to move over into your normal financial plan is is how long I'm planning for. Yeah. Because the rest of it's pretty much standalone. <clears throat> it's it's some we think pretty good software, but it's it it doesn't interfere with all the other things you do. And it sort of sits on it sits above everything or over over the top of everything in a way. Uh, so it's a framework. And and everything else works within it. And if the framework changes, well, that's it. But it, you do your own, all your old, know your client stuff and that. But this, my view is if you do it first, ask someone to sell, just take a few minutes. This is why we've got an introduction. This is why you do this, have a look at it. And if you want your longevity plan, I'll give it to you because we've designed to say planners can just, you know, turn it on for people. So they, be, they can even come in more informed than they ever were. <laughs> And you're yeah. in a position to talk with them about something, you know, which is uh, quite different. It's not just the money. By the way, not everybody wants to talk about it. We've learned that. Some people, you know, quite, you know, as a, a minority, but a significant minority, say, oh, oh I, don't, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> and we give planners two or three questions like, you know, well, if you were me, you were trying to show you how long your money life might last. <laughs> Wouldn't it be useful if we both were on the same stage, you know, at the same point? Uh, uh, I suppose so. So people don't always react beautifully or, oh, this is so good. Uh, It's not like that. Uh, it's 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 threatening as well. There's a bit of threat in it, the end is, bit, especially. Is this this is an interesting part because um, this is obviously a mindset thing to me. You know, like it it always depends on the mindset and attitude. Of course, is one of the um, the points that we discussed, and and just that thing, the mindset. So that could be something of a limiting mindset um, in the first place. Oh, absolutely, and, and I mean you can even have that conversation. <laughs> so you seem very fixed. In your views, I respect that, but, you know, how do you feel about uh, we don't need to have a degree in longevity to be able to do this. We yep. just need a bit of channeling to get our mind around what this involves. But the conversations are easy because they're ultimately time-based and people realise that it's the time frame that you're trying to get at, you're not trying to worm your way into their deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not trying to tell them, tell them when it's all going to go wrong for them and to expect it. Yeah, but, you know, even things like end-of-life stuff, all that, and there's a, it's a really serious issue, you know, socially as well. Um, it's possible people can feel comfortable at least to talk with you about it. Mm. Well, uh, they know that that's part of the agenda, really. And I think at some point they're going to have to. So embedded as we sort of talked about, this is a lot of this is around being able to make decisions earlier and not have decisions forced on you. Yeah, I think, I think too, it's also about at some point if you don't are not capable of making your own decisions, uh, and, and I and think about that all self-managed ship fund people because mm. <laughs> being a trustee is a real issue, uh, what do you do? Now, we show you know, where you go and what you do. At the end, you go to, a, of course, a state planner and a lawyer to do it. But if you're aware of what has to be done, like everyone should have a guardian, an enduring guardian. So if you have some accident, you can't think about what's going on in your best interest. 
it's there. Now, we, we say a bit more about that, but at the end of the day, you've got to talk to your, your lawyer about it. Lawyers should know all this stuff too. This <laughs> will help them have the conversations. Interesting uh, turning up to the lawyer with this uh, with the longevity report. Well, and, and who gets what and who doesn't? Yep. We, talk, we don't talk about the will, but who gets what and who doesn't? And yep. if not, why not? Yep. At least go on prepared with that. Yes, yes. Now, I had a few conversations recently about those three stages of, um, uh, of definitely those three stages of, uh, you know, not retirement, let's call it, um, and the able and the, and, and the less able and the dependent conversation. So I think it's a, I think it's a really good one to, uh, to, to present to clients to say there, there's, you know, this is what's likely coming and our job is to plan. So look, I think if, if there was one thing, <laughs> piece of information I think is is hugely useful. It's understanding that. Um, the number's fine and that is really where we start and it's, it's a very powerful tool. But in terms of people understanding what's going on and that it's largely, for most people, not bad at all, <laughs> there are a lot of opportunities, particularly when you're able, and to get organised while you're able and not when you've had a crisis. Yep. The stage of stuff is increasingly important to me and even the bit at the end which we call dependent. We don't call it frail. Frail is when you're literally frail. That's a medical term. But dependent means you need some support and and to do the things you do every day. might be put your shoes on, you know, and people come in to do just that if you're living at home. You can get that sort of support. But it's understanding that you're not suddenly... You don't suddenly become dependent, or typically you don't, but you need others and you need, you know, to manage the social, the surroundings that you're in to support you. Yep. Uh, at some point you might decide you don't want to be there anymore and that's another <laughs> discussion. But, yes. but understanding, that, that understanding that is a really useful part of coming to terms with, with how good the rest of it is too. Yeah. And the yeah, more... But- better you do it in the best period, the shorter will be the dependency typically. And that's really interesting, really interesting. So the longer you live, you know, it might be at the moment at 65, it might be uh, four or five years dependency for, for, a, uh, for a five for a woman, three for a man typically. But, you know, 15, 20 years on, that's actually got less. People think it gets longer, the dependent period, but it typically doesn't. So even working on the wellness will have an effect at the end. Yes. And that's yeah. a wor- worthwhile thought. Absolutely. I think the conversation becomes easier when you're talking to your existing clients, say they're you know a, a retiree, um, around their parents and their parents going through this. So it's sort of a, it's almost like um, not so much about them but a one step removed. Yeah, and I think it really does help the intergenerational discussion, and we know all about the financial implications of the intergenerational transfer, but you've got a framework in which quite naturally to talk about it and say, this, this is what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, son, how do you, how do you see this where you are? And, and he said, well, if son says, well, we're going to be in Adelaide and you're going to be in Sydney and that's too bad. We can't do anything about it. Well, let's work together on, on how we get the best out of this. Yep. And, and you know, it, it's a it's a nice. Um, it's not a money conversation. It's a get the best out of this conversation, yeah. and people respond. I think to that. Yeah, fantastic, wonderful. Thank you, thank you, David, for coming in and chatting us to about uh, about the longevity plan, about uh, how time is such a, 
an amazing factor in in, in a financial plan. Uh, how can people check out the report if they want to have a look at it? Uh, best best way is to send me an email and I'll send them some advices particularly. Uh, they can go online anyway <clears throat> to the website. They can use the analyzer and see it. Uh, for all advices, we give them a free subscription anyway. Okay. We, we believe it's it's worth, it's in our interest to do so. And to help them, first thing I say, do it yourself. See how you feel about it. If you feel okay and it's useful, then you'll see whether it's good for your clients. So that's the way we approach it. And then there's a quite simple extension of that into how they can provide it to clients and actually see the client's plan if the plan, if the client agrees. They can look into the client's plan online. They can't change it, but they, if they want to have a look at the circumstance, they can share that immediately because it's all, all done online. Wonderful. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. So that's my longevity.com.au if you wanted to check that out. Uh, really appreciate coming on and having a chat to us and, and sharing your uh, your passion for this, uh, you know, over time. You know, you've, you've been a planner, you've been sitting in front of clients and you've decided that there was this thing that was needed uh, and you've you've gone and put a, a heck of a lot of work into creating it. So congratulations and appreciate it. Thanks, Fraser. And if I say one last thing, and the last thing I'd like us all to do then is to push for a national longevity strategy instead of these bits and pieces of super and aged care and, and pension and age discrimination. We need a longevity strategy for the whole community because we're, we're not getting the best out of what we have from this longevity bonus. Yeah, interesting, instead of doing one little bit at a time. Yeah, aged care in particular. Yeah. Watch this space, I would say. Watch this space, and uh, and like uh, like I said, you know, uh, speak up if you uh, speak up to your local politicians and your local uh, uh, lobbying when it comes around. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for supporting that bit of a push too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, David. Okay, pleasure. Well, there you have it, another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. And it's that time of the week when Ems and I chat about some shout-outs. G'day, Em. Hey, how are you? I'm tremendous. Thank you for asking. Amazing. <laughs> so who are we going to shout-out to today? Today, let's give a big, massive shout-out to the XY community, the Brains Trust. There has been a sensational amount of collaboration and idea sharing over the last week and it seemed very uh, pertinent to point this out and give a massive shout out to the Brains Trust. We've had Robert Wary kicking off a um, discussion around TTR strategies and, and really bringing people into the fold to brainstorm, brainstorm I should say. We had Clint Neese who recently shared a creative marketing idea that he's rolled out through email with his clients and saw a phenomenal amount of engagement. Um, The Ethics Committee have been hard at work answering ethical determinations to support advisors. Um, Tim Henry's been in there sharing a bunch of marketing materials and collateral. I just saw that today. So, yeah, collaboration, right? This this concept of uh, not having to reinvent the wheel and helping everyone get to where they want to go quicker is phenomenal. So massive shout out to the Brains Trust. You guys are awesome. 